We are so thrilled that you're here with us uh, this morning. If you could take out this outline, um, you see we are in a brand new series, brand new year, um, brand new look on the bulletin cover, as well as this series title, Mission FBC. Uh, what are we about? What's our purpose? What's our mission here? What, what's God's calling for First Baptist in 2018? Uh, as well as you personally, what is God expecting and want of you? And so here's the mission statement. It's up on the screen right now. There it comes. It's almost there. Really? No, really, it's there, okay? Uh, Saul, you're awake up there. Here it comes. There it is. Got it. Got it. Okay. Look. I've, that's right. I th- okay. Here we go. Ready? Ready for this one? All right. Read this with me. Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. All right. That's what we do around here at First Baptist. If you ever lose sight of that, you're going to lose sight. Now, now I know Some of you are probably saying, Pastor Brad, it was the same mission statement we had in 2017. Same one we had in 2016. Same one, in case you want to know, that we've had here for about 10 years, all right? But here's the thing. If I don't keep putting this out in front of you, then you're not going to aim for this. You're not going to remember this is how and what we do. In fact, Saturday or Friday, I was over at the community center. The new building there, Scottish Rite property, and, and, and we have upper basketball that started on the grounds in that community center in the dining room area that's now an events room. It's going to be just perfect for us. And already we had hundreds of kids and families on the grounds there. But I walked in on Friday and I was looking at the courts that we have there. We have two courts in there and they didn't have any lines on them. And so I found um, uh, Jaron, and, uh, who's our leader of upward basketball, I said, Jaron. Are we going to stripe the lines here so the kids know how to play and where to play? He said, oh, no, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we had no lines this upcoming year? I said, no. And he said, I didn't think so either. We'll put lines on there. It's okay. It's okay. And so he's just kind of, you know, playing with me a little bit. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? That's kind of what it's like sometimes if you come to church and you don't know where the goals are. You come to church, you don't know where the out-of-bounds is. You come to church and you haven't read throughout the week or allow this time to come to you and say, okay, here's what's inbounds, here's what's out-of-bounds, here's why we're doing what we do. And it's this statement, helping people to take their next step in knowing Jesus and making them known. In fact, would you read that with me again? Read it like you believe it. Ready? Go. Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. If if I don't keep giving you those reminders, then you might just be going through the motions. And you might not know where the goal is. You might be just kind of coasting in neutral. That's what we do here at First Baptist Church. And we go through this process by the know, grow, serve, and share um, uh, steps. And I'm going to talk to you more about those very specifically. But a couple um, uh, months ago, I was out to lunch with uh, someone. I think it was a breakfast. And they were new around here at First Baptist. And um, basically, they looked across the table at me. And they said, Pastor Brad, where do I begin? What do I do? I'm new to the church. I'm new to the faith. 
What, what, what do I do? There's so many different things. There's so many different options. How do I get involved? What, what's the step? And I said, don't make it too complicated. What I want you to do is just take your next step. And First Baptist, that's what I'm asking for you today. First Sunday of 2018, I want to encourage you, just take your next step. And helping people take their next step. And knowing Jesus and making him known. In fact, those four phrases are what I want to focus, focus on here for just a second. The helping people relates to Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, where it says, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But it's those who are sick. You know, we come here to worship, to, to, to get our minds focused, to understand, yes, we're sick with sin. You know, we've said this for years. First Baptist is a hospital. That's what we are. That's what we do. Sometimes it's a hospital that you check into on an emergency basis. Sometimes it's a hospital you check in just to get healed back up. But we're sick. Pastor Scott said it. We're imperfect people, but we serve a perfect God. And so we realize that about ourselves. And so when we come to worship, it reminds us where we're going. It reminds us our focus and where it needs to be. It needs to be upon the Lord. I just talked about upward basketball. If you don't know what that is, it's one of our programs for eighth grade and under, little kids um, and their families um, who want to get involved with great positive kind of sports around here. They have devotions for the kids and such. We had hundreds of kids on our campus yesterday and families on our campus. Uh, we were helping them take their next step athletically, but more than that, spiritual and relationally. That's why we run a sports program like that. Before that, in the morning time, we had a breakfast club that would meet and they would uh, organize to get together to go down and feed the homeless. Again, helping some of those people who need to take their next step and just providing some of the basic food for them. We had also two funerals here yesterday I was involved with. Um, again, at every stage of life, helping people to take their next step, to be with them, to walk through them with that process and celebrate the lives that we were saying goodbye to. Um, but that's what we do, and that's what I hope you do as well. You're helping people. Helping people what? The second phrase there is take their next step. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, that is Jesus, in which he walked. Now do me a favor here. Take out a pen or a pencil. You see the phrase helping people and then take their next step. Circle the word there. Because your next step will be different than my next step. It's your next step, whatever that next step may be. And I don't know what that is for you. I just know that it's forward, all right? It's not sideways. It's not backwards. It's not in neutral. You take a next step, and you take it forward towards Christ. And to be honest with you, maybe, maybe it's just coming in here and singing, yeah, there's some people I know who come. You, 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 you listen to the music. You don't engage yet. You don't sing. You know what happens when you begin to sing? It releases those endorphins. You get involved. You get more active. And even if you can't sing very well, do you know why I sit on the front row and sing? Because no one can hear me up here. And if you would like to take that step, you are more than welcome to. Jody, you, you sing well, though, don't you? Oh, you don't. Okay, that's why you're there as well, okay? But we have an open row here. Nobody will sing you. If you don't want the person right in front of you hearing you, just, it doesn't matter. Sing. Sing loud. Maybe that's your next step. You know, maybe your next step is to raise an arm in worship. 
I, well, Pastor Brad, it's kind of a private thing. I don't like to do that kind of thing, all right? You know, I don't go there. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe, maybe an alligator. You ever done alligator arms in worship? You know, like that, right there, okay? But whatever it is, doesn't matter to me. But if God is kind of nudging you along to take a next step, maybe that's being a little bit more vulnerable. You know, that, that lifting of hands is kind of a, a sign of surrender, that you give, and maybe God just wants you to do that. Um, I, already in worship and praise here today, I, I, I lifted my hands just like this, of, of saying, God, thank you for your blessings that you've given in the past year and your faithfulness. I didn't know the words of those songs were going to come up, but I just, I just bask in that. God, thank you for your faithfulness of what you've done and what you will continue to do. Maybe it's serving. Maybe you don't have a place where you serve yet, but, you know, you'd say, okay, yep, that might be a next step. Maybe it's giving. Maybe you'd say, yeah, you know what? I haven't been given to the Lord the offering that really he deserves, the, 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 the fruit of the 10% that I can give to him. And maybe, maybe today you would say, I need to start doing that. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's coming on time to worship. Yes, I am looking at you, balcony, all right? I thought it was like when we started. Yeah, I got some hands lifted up there. Yep, you agree, okay? Yeah, you know, 8 o'clock, 95% of them are here. 9, 30, 11, 15, 95% of you are not. Why don't we change that, okay? Come early. Get to know some people. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the friendships that people make before and after services and the connections that they make before and after services. And that's part of the fellowship that we have here at First Baptist. I hope you'll be taking that step. Whatever your next step is, take it. Uh, on, on Tuesday of this week, I went into a hospital room and began to talk to a couple who were in there. The husband was in the hospital. Uh, the wife was by his bedside. And she pulled me aside beforehand, and she kind of updated me a little bit on, Hey, Pastor Brad, I've been coming to church for years. My husband's just been coming with me for the last year or so. We love being with you. I know the Lord. I've known him for years, but my husband does it yet. Can you share with him? Can you talk to him about Jesus? I said, absolutely. So I went in, and we just talked, and we gathered conversation. We talked about Jesus. I explained the four spiritual laws. I, I, I shared with him. We, we had dialogue back and forth. And, and I said, well, would you be ready to accept Christ into your life? And he said, you know what, Pastor Brad? There's so much wrong in the world today, and I just can't put it all together with what God's doing. And I, I, I'm just not ready yet to do that. I said, okay. That's all right, but I'll ask you, would you pray? Would you pray about what we talked about here today? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. I came back again on, I think it was Thursday, and I walked into the room, and the wife's face lit up. She said, he did it. He accepted Christ into his life. I turned to him. I said, you did? He said, yes, I did. And he had this big smile on his face. I said, good for you. He said, he said, you know what you talked about? It just gave light into some of the darkness that I've been feeling that this world has. It was just a, a light moment for me. But then I loved what he said because that was his next step to take. But before I left there, he and his wife were already talking about, okay, now you need to get baptized. And already they were saying there's a next step that we need to take in our faith. Maybe some of you here today have not taken that step yet. And this year, baptism. 
is a step you take. Maybe it's receiving the Lord into your life that you have not yet done. Yesterday I did a funeral. I actually helped with the funeral for uh, Kay Nelson. Derek Metro, one of our pastors, that his, his mother-in-law, and uh, he did that funeral, and the whole family came together. They sang because Kay was so musical, and they taught the grandkids music and violin. I, I'm just, just it was a wonderful praise and a tribute to her life and what Jesus had done in her life. But the part that struck me the most was a gentleman who stood right here um, who was Iranian. Because Kay Nelson and her husband, Dennis, had been missionaries in Iran. Actually, Krista, Derek's wife, was born in Iran. Um, and, and he came up and he said, 28 years ago, here in the United States, that Kay Nelson had walked into his restaurant and challenged him to know God. Kay had prayed to have a ministry of reaching out to the people of Iran. And she prayed, God, guide me to a place. And she found an Iranian uh, uh, restaurant owner with the food that she so enjoyed, the Persian food. And so she went into that uh, restaurant. She sat down. She made conversation with him. And within about five minutes, she challenged him and said, do you know God? 28 years ago. And he's standing here and he's telling this story. And he says, I look back at her and I said, of course I know God. I know God. I'm a Muslim. I know who God is. I'm fine. Yes. And she looked back and she said, then do you know Jesus? He said, of course I do. He's one of those 128 prophets. Uh, just like that. Yes, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. She said, oh no. You don't know the Jesus I know. And over six months' time, she began to witness to him and continued to go back and witness and pray, witness and pray, witness and pray. And he stood here and he said, it took six months before I said yes to Jesus, but I did. He said, I used to be a, a Muslim. Now I was a follower of Jesus. And it didn't stop there. She said, he said, for those 28 years, I've had a friendship with Kay. And she continues to challenge me and challenge me and challenge me. And he had a whole ministry. In fact, he went back to Iran and was being a pastor back there in Iran because of what Kay did in pushing him and challenging him and praying for him. And not just even just saying, great, you're a Christian now, that's fine. But in discipling him and bringing him about to take a next step, a next step, a next step, a next step. And I don't know what your next step is. But you have one. And so we want to help you. That's what First Baptist does, helping people take their next step. Third phrase we have down there is in knowing Jesus. Nothing more important than that. Knowing Jesus. In fact, Colossians 1.15 says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I'm not going to talk about that just now because I'm going to get into that in just a bit. But let me go to the last phrase. Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus. And the last phrase is this, and making him known. That's what Kay did. Go ahead and go to that next one there, Saul, in making him known. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. In fact, this upcoming year in 2018, that's the value that we're going to be focusing on, is sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. And as a staff, we want to partner with you, with you on that. We want you to be praying for people, but we also want to provide opportunities where you can invite them to come here, be it Easter, be it Christmas, be it special events, be it special conferences, special, special things that we do that might be just out of the ordinary. That's a great excuse to say, hey, would you want to come to my church? And that's a great pl way to get people to understand that there is a light out there that this world does not give to them. 
It's Jesus. And so the guidelines or the lines on the basketball court that I talked about with Jaron that he was laying down, I look at it and I say, how do we accomplish helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known? We do that with the know, grow, serve, and share. Knowing Jesus, growing in Jesus, serving Jesus, and sharing your faith with others. And so today, as you see it highlighted, we're going to talk a little bit about the know. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the grow, serve, and share. So what does it mean to know Jesus? Because first, you have to know him if you want to make him known. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Colossians chapter 1, because the way that God has revealed himself most clearly is through his scripture, for us to digest, for us to read, for us to interact with the Holy Spirit as his word speaks to us. And as you're pulling that up, Colossians chapter 1, you see on the back of your outline where I wrote down the words salvation and sanctification. I want to look at these two aspects for just a bit, kind of give us a basis for two ways of knowing Jesus. Okay, so, so let me kind of help you with the difference of these two words. Because if you've been around church for a long time, you probably have heard these two words. Maybe not everybody understands, okay, what exactly are we talking about with those two words in that process of knowing Jesus? Okay, let me start here. The salvation. That is making a choice to change. That is, comes about by making that choice to change in your life, to say, yes, I know I'm sick. I know I'm an imperfect person. I need this perfect God. That is the salvation experience. Now, the sanctification is the process of that change. That's the ongoing process of that. All right, second definition, salvation, it's a one-time event. It's a, it's, it's a one-time decision that you make. The sanctification side of that is the daily process that you go through. It's not just a one-time change or experience, but it's an ongoing process daily that we walk through. Salvation, then. Third definition there is external. That is, it's outside of ourselves. It's, it's initiated by God himself for us. He brought that about while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He started that process off. The sanctification then is the Holy Spirit that he gives to us that works from the inside out. That is the Holy Spirit now given to us when we know Christ as Lord and Savior, working in and through us, working that transformation process out in us. So hear that now. Salvation is that one-time type of experience event that we have, but uh, sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. Because what you believe about Jesus is the only thing that matters when you pass on from this earth. I just did two funerals yesterday. Reminds me of that every time. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. But it doesn't just change everything for eternity. It changes everything for now. And the things that we do, the things that we say, the actions that we take, the way we love... That makes, it, that makes all the difference in the world. What you believe about Jesus. So Paul, in the book of Colossians, was writing to a church. 
that had some rumors going on, that had some heresy taking place. And Paul said, let me set you straight on this. And one of them was not thinking that Jesus was deity, not thinking that he was God incarnate, like we just went through and talked about at Christmas time. Look what Paul says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, again, talking about Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him is the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, let me kind of just go over this verse by verse, if I could, for just a bit. Colossians 1, 15. He is the invisible or image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What Paul is wanting to get at is saying, when you know Jesus, you know God. Jesus wasn't only equal to God. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. He's, he, he's God in a bod, if you want to look at it like that, Okay. God's fullness, all of God's entity poured into him into that likeness of Jesus. It was God on earth here for us. When you know, when you've seen him, you've seen the Father. That's what Jesus talked about, and it upset the Pharisees like no other. And so Satan's upset at that. He didn't like that at all. And so in this first century church in Colossians, church at Colossae, he started some rumors. He started some heresy. Know any rumors that have started in churches before? It happens. Even in the first century, and in the second and third, and the fourth and fifth and 21st. And here's what they were saying. I told you just a little bit about that just a second ago. But he was saying, the people were saying this. God, Jesus is not God incarnate. In fact, they believed that the world was very evil. And so God wouldn't come to be a part of this evil world. And Paul said, oh no, he did. In fact, they believed that God didn't even create the world because the world was evil. And God said, oh, or Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. He did. Jesus was a part of that creation process. And they believed that Jesus wasn't the way to heaven. And Paul again said, absolutely he is. He is preeminent. He's over all. He's above all. Now, that's a first century teaching that they needed to get right. And it's also a 21st century teaching that we need to get right. Because that's not very popular today to say that it's all about Jesus. But you ask younger people, and they will say, you know, that sounds a little bit intolerant. That sounds like you're not accepting of other faiths. It sounds like you're not saying that, you know, a lot of these other faiths can get to the same place. It sounds like you're better than all of them. I am not saying that. This is saying that. 
And that's not said about me, that is simply said about Jesus, that yes, Jesus is the way. He's not a way, he's not a truth, he's not a light, he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what scripture says. I can't deny that, and I'm not going to try and change that. And so Paul was hearing this scuttlebutt going on in this first century. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Let's set this right, let's set this straight, and I want to do that here as well. That it is all about Jesus. Go to verse uh, 16. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And you want to understand the depth of the knowledge of God? You just know Jesus. It all comes through him. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That before all things talks about how he helped create the world, the holds all things together. He's the sustainer of the world. Could you imagine what our world would be like if God was not involved? If there were not people here to talk about the truth and the light and the life that Jesus gives, and that hope and that Holy Spirit that is a part of our world? My goodness, where would our world be now if that wasn't the case? Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That firstborn of the dead, great baptism imagery of dying and rising again, and Jesus doing that in the tomb three days, back up to life. And so that imagery there is he's the one who guides us. He's the one who takes us there. He's the one that we will follow suit one day when we know him, so that in everything he may be preeminent. Let me just say it this way. If God, through Jesus, if Jesus conquered death, what can't he do in your life? Are there some things in your life right now that you are not allowing God to have supremacy in, to have preeminence? Are there some things that you'd be honest that you'd say, yep, I'm holding some stuff back? And that's a faith issue. If God, through his son Jesus, has conquered death, what can't he conquer? As you begin this new year, I hope you will explore yourself and say, okay, what am I not giving over to him? What, do I, he, what does he not have preeminence in my life? Jesus. And if you need to be on your knees here at the altar after the service, come. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to have that time with you. If you need to confess that to another friend, if you need another friend, just come alongside you and say, hey, let's look at that together. What, what, where did your thinking get off? Where does your belief system not bring that about? And let me say it this way. Jesus didn't come to take away your fun. He came to take away your pain. Some of you get that a little confused. And you stay in your pain because you don't want to give up your fun. I can't tell you how much fun it is to be sold out to Jesus. The painful part is being halfway there. Walking the fence, walking that line and falling on one side and you fall on the other. That does not feel very good, all right? That's not where God wants us. He wants us to be slow. That's where your fun is. He came to take away your pain, not your fun. And so Paul just kind of reiterates this again, in case we didn't get this before, in verse 19, where he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
It's like, okay, are you getting that? He is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. This is God himself all in there. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in uh, earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, let me put together the salvation and sanctification words that I just gave to you. When we have that blood that's been shed for us on the cross, when we come to believe that, that is that one-time salvation experience, that belief in Jesus. But then that's lived out through faith, through sanctification, that process of taking a step and another step and another step and another step and another step. And so my prayer for you in 2018 is a year, I pray you'll make it a year that you um, grow closer to Jesus than you've ever grown before. You might say, well, how do I do that, Pastor Brad? Let us help you. That's what we do here at First Baptist. There are people who want to help you. Not just even our pastoral staff. There's other mentors in this church who would love to walk alongside you. There's a men's ministry. There's a women's ministry. There's so many different areas that you can jump into. I mean, these are just some of the offerings that we have coming up here. Tuesday morning, Wednesday night. Um, Wednesday night, start up again this week. I hope that you're here with us. 6.15, the Awana program begins too. Because we know how those children need to be shaped for Jesus as well. And so come on back. Make this a year you say, all right, I'll jump in. I'll get involved. I mean, my goodness, the men's ministry um, uh, conference that's coming up. Men, every one of you should be here with us on February 3rd for that conference. It'll be a day when God just gets a hold of us. I think he's going to start a spark in the midst of us. Pastor Derek's been doing a great job with that men's ministry. Women, jump into the offerings that the women have for that women's ministry. It's been great. There's even a mommy uh, group, mom strong group for young mothers. Um, So many different opportunities to jump in and get yourself before God's word. Um, That's not even talking a lot about all the community groups that we still offer. We want you to get involved with that. I just feel like there's a place and a time where when you get on someone's couch and the kingdom of God comes right there through opening scripture and praying for one another. That is so valuable. We have places where you can connect in that way as well. It's your next step. If you haven't taken that step, that's your next step. Let me kind of illustrate that with a couple different things. Um, A number of years ago, some of you might remember this, a number of years ago, um, the great desire for every six-year-old child was to be one of the mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Do any of you remember this little craze that happened a number of years ago? I mean, it created such interest in, in every, you know, six to ten-year-old child. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. If you don't know what it was, some of you might have seen it through your kids or your grandkids, or some of you here might have lived that out a number of years ago. It's um, a, a low-budget Japanese television show that was crudely dubbed over into uh, English. And, and yet it had kind of a, a folksy kind of way that it connected with our society. The, connect, the character's ability to change was called morphine. And what they would do is when they were needed, um, these teenagers became these martial art heroes. And they would say the words, it's morphine time. And then they would change to these mighty Power Ranger kind of people. The term morph kind of took off. And the term morph kind of became a part of our vernacular, part of our vocabulary here in the United States. Um, and, and I think it kind of grabbed a hold of us because 
it's not just six-year-old kids who want to change, who want to morph into something. It, it, it's a desire in each of our lives to be kind of transformed. It's a, it's a human desire. It's why many of you said, January 1st, I'm going to do things differently this year. It's why some of you said, I'm going to join a club, lose some weight. I'm going to be more disciplined here or there. I'm going to do things. It's because of desire to morph, a desire to change, a desire to be transformed um, and first of the year begins kind of that process. In fact, the possibility of transformation is really the essence of, of all hope. There's a psychologist that says, his name was Aaron Beck, who said the single belief most toxic to relationships, get this now, the single belief most toxic to relationships is the belief that the other person cannot change. If you're in a relationship with someone, that's toxic to say, well, they'll never change. No. They can't. In fact, this word for morphine um, is, a, is a New Testament word. It's a Greek word. Let me explain a little bit. I think you have the first answer there up on the screen, or it was just up there on the screen. The word morphu. That word means, you can just write this down if you, word, if you will, it means the real formation of the essential nature of a person. And how it's used in Scripture, it's kind of similar to the formation or the growth of an embryo inside of his mother's or her mother's womb. And so it's kind of that formation that New Testament Scripture talks about, that Christ should be born in us like that. We're pregnant with possibilities and the need for spiritual growth. And let me tell you another kind of derivation of that word, sumorviso. That word means to have the same form as another. It kind of refers to the molding process that we're to become more like Christ in His image. And then there's a third kind of definition as it's used in Scripture, and that is the word metamorpho, and this is a little bit closer maybe to what we have remembered, and we might talk about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word simply means a transformation. Kind of think about the caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. We see that metamorphosis. Okay, where am I going with this? When morphine happens, I don't want to just do the things that Jesus did. I find myself wanting to do the things that Jesus did. When true transformation and morphine happens in your life, it means you don't go around just trying to do the right things. It it means you become the person that now does those things right. That's what we gather. That's what we glean. That's what happens when you know Jesus, when you walk in a relationship with him. It's why we talk so much about reading scripture. Because when you get yourself in front of God, it just has a way of changing your heart. Prayer, time in prayer, it has a way of shaping you and molding you to be the person that God wants you to be. So every one of us in this upcoming year, should have this sense of, God, I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I want to morph into more of a person like you. Let me illustrate this with a story. John Orberg, in one of his books, writes about um, a gal by the name of Mabel. Mabel was at a a state-run convalescent hospital. And he writes in there that most people who go to a state-run convalescent hospital are going there kind of just waiting to die. He says, you walk in there, you smell the sickness, you smell the stale urine that's in there. 
The hallways are just kind of filled with people who are waiting to die. Worst case kind of people are wheeled out into the the hallways so that the staff can kind of keep an eye on them, but they don't spend a lot of time with them, he said. And so he was there one time when he was in his college years, and he was wanting to minister to some of those people in there, and he'd walk through the halls, and he came across one that kind of was worst-case scenario. Her name was Mabel. She was strapped to a wheelchair. Her face, he said, was absolute horror. She kind of had that empty stare in her eyes, the white pupils that showed him she was blind. She had a hearing aid over one ear that said she was nearly deaf. One side of her face was totally eaten by cancer. And her mouth drooped, her nose drooped, her eyes drooped. And when she was fed food, it kind of just would fall out. She would drool at other times. In fact, he found out that the superintendents would often put in the new recruits to go feed Mabel because if they can take that, then they can take anything that would happen in the care home. This was Mabel. He come to know Mabel. He came to understand more of her story. And he came to find out that she was an 89-year-old woman, bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years in this facility. Let me just read you what he writes. He says, I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the other people that were in the hallway, but I put a flower in her hand, being Mother's Day one time when he went, and I said, here, This flower is for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held up the flower to her face. She tried to smell it. He says, then she spoke. And to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? You see, you know, I'm blind. I can't see. I said, oh, of course, of course, of course. And I pushed her with her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I might find some alert patients. And I found one, and I stopped the chair. And Mabel took the flower, and she handed it over to me. And she says, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was no ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with just her and her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and her sickness sent her into a convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker, constant headaches, backaches, stomach aches, and then the cancer came on too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They very often soiled their bedcloths, and because the hospital was desperately understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. But Mabel and I became friends, and over the next few weeks, I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually offering me a hard candy from a tissue box near her bed, Some days I would read her the Bible, and often I would pause, and she would continue reciting the verse from memory, word by word. And other days I would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, this was not merely an exercise in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn. 
make a brief comment about the lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. But I never heard her speak of loneliness. I never heard her complain of pain. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would often now go to her with a pen and a paper and write down the things that she would actually be saying to me. He, re- he says, during one week, final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten different directions at once. And all the things that I had to think about and all the things that I had to do. And then the question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month. Not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and I said, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? She said, I think about Jesus. I sat there. And I thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately, and I wrote. She said, I I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing that old hymn, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad... He makes me glad. He's my friend. And you talk about someone who's been morphed. You talk about someone who's been transformed, who's been sanctified. That woman is probably more like Jesus than all of us combined in here. Because Jesus was all she had. I wonder what our lives would be like if we had focused on him like that. Now, obviously, he's given you and me an opportunity to know him and then also to make him known that perhaps Mabel didn't have. But my goodness, to be transformed like that and to be of that age where you would just focus on Jesus for most of your days in your life, what would it be like? If you said, God, in 2018, I want to end that year being more like you than I've ever been before. What would it mean for you if you'd say, I want to know him more than anything else? Because when you know him, you're going to grow in him. When you grow in him, you are going to serve him. And when you serve him, you are going to share him. And at the end of this year, you can look back. And you can say, Jesus, thank you for that transformation. Thank you for that metamorphosis. Thank you for that sanctification that you allowed me to take one step at a time to be more like you. That's our goal, First Baptist. That's our goal. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for the reality of what it means to becoming more like Jesus. Not always easy. Lord, you will grow us, you will shape us, you will press us from many different sides, but the goal of all that is to become more like you. And Lord, my prayer, my prayer is that we would do just that, that we would be your servants, to say, God, whatever you bring our way in this upcoming year, we will all relate it and push it back towards what would Jesus do in the midst of this situation? Listening to your voice in our hearts, listening to your voice speak. Because, Lord, you're here. You're a part of our lives if we've said yes to you. Folks, maybe you're like that gentleman in the hospital bed that I saw on Tuesday who did not know who this Jesus was. He had heard a lot about it. He'd heard me speak a lot about it. But he never made that decision. Folks, I can't tell you the countenance change on his life, on his face, even just from a few days of having said yes. And if today's your day to say, I need to do that, I need to take that step, then just say those words right now, wherever you're at. Yes, Lord Jesus, yes. I believe in you. Come into my life. If that's your prayer today, I'd love for you to come down and talk to me afterwards, or maybe the friend that brought you, you can ask them, how do I take my next step in that? We have a booth out at our Next Step Center, out in the middle of our Welcome Center area. We'd love to give some information on taking your next step. I, I know, though, that most of the people here in this room, hundreds of you, you've known Jesus. But have you ever known him as though he was the only one that you knew? That he was the only one you dwelt upon, the only one that you thought about? God, I pray that in this upcoming year, even when other things crowd you out, even when other things, perhaps even good things that come into our lives, Lord, may we put you and hold you preeminent. As Paul wrote those words to the church at Colossae, you are in, you are preeminent above all, and the fullness of God was on him and in him. God, I thank you for that reality. And even now as we sing one last worship song, Lord, may that song allow us to go into the world. May people look at us, know that we know you in a deep way, and today we have met you, and by that countenance of being in this place, that others may know, others may know how good you are. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we take our next step with you. Amen.